Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Um, Paul has been arguing against what idea so far in the book of Galatians? Does anybody know the philosophy that Paul's arguing against? He's arguing primarily against the idea of legalism. And I hope you've taken that away. I hope people are just shy and actually you know, knew that. Yeah, he's, he's arguing against the idea of legalism. The idea that these people who had formerly been Jews, most of them, um, needed to go back and continue to follow the Old Testament law in order to be saved. We no longer have to follow the Old Testament law. We no longer have to follow uh, the Ten Commandments and the sacrifices in order to be saved. Now, we still respect God's law and we still obey what God tells us to do um, out of love for Him and out of gratefulness to Him. But because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, our debt is paid. Christ fulfilled the law for us. We no longer have to obey that law and make those sacrifices week after week after week, make the, the big sacrifice year after year after year for the whole nation. Um, we no longer have to do those things because now uh, Christ has already made that sacrifice. Christ has already fulfilled the law in our place. That is what uh, Paul is arguing towards in this book. Um, let's go ahead and dive in. 4, 1 through 10. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. Part one, two parts to this little message. Part one, Paul presents the good news. First thing that Paul does is he presents the good news to us. The second thing, later on in the, in the passage, Paul gives us a warning. Paul gives us a warning. Let's look at what the good news is. Verse one. Verse one. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. What, what is Paul talking about? You know, if you're just kind of, you're on cruise control, you're on autopilot reading this, you're like, I don't know what, I don't know what Paul's talking about. Well, heirs, I don't know, you know, heirs, slaves, uh, you know, I'm not sure what he's saying. He's saying that an heir, that is somebody who has an inheritance coming to him, actually has nothing until that day when they get that inheritance. The heir is no different from a slave, from a servant, from a common working person. Okay, if you have an uncle or a, you know a grandpa that you're kind of waiting, come on, you know, bring that inheritance. So, you know, you know, let's uh, let's move this along so I can get that inheritance coming to me, right? Um, if if you've got that coming to you, you actually have nothing until that day. You could say, yeah, oh, no, I've got, I'm a millionaire. I've got thirty million dollars coming to me. You know, on, on the the appointed day that that inheritance should come to me. I've got $30 million. I'm a millionaire. They're like, well, why are you still living on the street? You know, I, I thought you were a millionaire. 
Well, it hasn't come yet. I, you know, it's not here. You're no different from anybody else until that day. Okay, that's the analogy that Paul's trying to use here. In the same way, Israel actually had nothing. Israel actually did not have the full uh, promises of God fulfilled to them until the day that the Father set, until the day that Jesus came, until the day that Jesus died and was born again and the new covenant was put into place. Until that day, they actually had nothing. They were heirs of the promises of God. They were waiting on the promises of God, but those weren't there yet. Maybe it's the same way with you today. Maybe today um, God has some promises for you. God has good things in store for you, but you're not quite there yet, and you just have to be patient and wait for that. In the same way, we, um, as Christians, before we were saved, um, we didn't have anything. We might have been heirs of God, and we might have had that um, salvation coming to us, and God was, was working out those details, and you still hadn't really believed in your heart yet. But until that day, you still had nothing. You were still an outsider. You still were not a child of God until that day that you received that inheritance, until you believed in Jesus' name. So, verse 1, the heir is no different from a slave in that neither has any access to the inheritance. God's people were just like slaves. They were slaves to the law. They had to follow that law to the letter. This is Paul's main argument. He's going against legalism here. What were they slaves to? They were slaves to the law. They had to follow. Imagine reading this law that had hundreds and hundreds of little uh, T's to cross and I's to dot. No, you know, I hope I'm doing this right and I'm going through the motions here and I have to sacrifice this animal. Okay, so if I sin this way, I have to sacrifice this kind of animal on this day and then I have to wait this long until I can go back to the temple or I have to sacrifice this. You know, it's just like, whoa, you know, I don't know what are all these rules are. You know, it's like trying to play a game of risk. You guys ever play risk and you're reading the, the manuals and you're like, ah. Okay, he attacks with four cannons against my three... So, and, you know, you're rolling all these dice. You've got all these, like, you know, the protractors and compasses out trying to figure out exactly, you know, who's going to win this game. It, it's like that. It's like this really complex law that they're trying to follow. They were slaves to that law. They had to follow that law to the letter. No longer are we slaves. This is good news. This is the good news that Paul is giving the Galatians. They don't have to follow that law anymore. They don't have to go back to the temple and sacrifice day after day after day for their sins because Christ came. Christ's sacrifice was once for all. That is good news. That is good news for us today. Be glad that when you come to church on a Sunday, we don't have to get a lamb and sacrifice it. We don't have to bring doves in and sacrifice it. We don't have to watch an innocent animal die because God sent his son to die in our place once for all to cover all sins. That is something that should make you rejoice, make you be thankful to God every day. Moving along, verse 2. He does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Who are the guardians and stewards? He's talking about the priests. He's talking about the religious leaders that had to um, be the mediator between them and God. You see, in the Old Testament times, you didn't have direct access to God. Okay? Nowadays, we're kind of like, uh, you know, very casual. Like, we can just talk to God, and we're, you know, we're talking to God, we're watching a movie, oh, I'll just say a little prayer. You know, you're all, always talking to God, always interacting with God. It wasn't like that in the Old Testament. You to get your sins forgiven, you couldn't just say, God, you know, I screwed up. I know that you've already forgiven me, but I just need to confess this to you to, to get our relationship right again. 
You, can't, you couldn't do that in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you had to go to the priest who would do the sacrifice for you, and he was your mediator. He was the person who stood between you and God and made that sacrifice. We no longer have that. Our mediator is Christ. Christ is the one mediator for the church. He stands between us and God and offered that sacrifice once for all. Also, the Spirit. The Spirit of God is our mediator. The Spirit of God intercedes for us. Sometimes when I pray, I'm just, I'm the worst prayer in the world. I mean, I sit down and I'm like, God, I just thank you for today. And, oh, you know, I'm really hungry. I really hope I get some Panda Express. And I'm just, like, I'll start praying, and I'm sure you guys can relate. You start praying, and then two or three minutes later, you're just sitting there thinking about, you know, then I'm just asleep, and I'm just like, what what am I I doing? You know, I can't even even stay in prayer with God for more than a few minutes. You know, it's just our our flesh is so weak um, to concentrate on the things of God. The Word says that the Holy Spirit will intercede for us, and we'll look at we'll look at that in a second. But the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit says, "Okay," he, he takes that prayer that I prayed, and he says, "All right, I I can work with this," <laughs> and he makes it he makes it a little better, and then he he sends it up to the Father and says, "Here, this is what he was trying to ask for. Can you please you know help him with this prayer?" The Holy Spirit intercedes for us, thankfully, because if it was just my prayers, God would be like, "What is this?" You know, this is little two lines of text and broken off and this doesn't even make any sense you know that's that's how the the spirit helps intercede for us we'll look at that in roman catholic theology they still have priests you ever wonder why you know they say oh, I, I went to talk to the priest i talked to the priest and we say pastor or leader or speaker they say priest because they really believe that that priest is still mediating between them and god through the sacraments the priest is still standing between them and god the laity doesn't have direct access to God, really. The priest intercedes for them. We know from the Bible that that's all done away with. We don't need a priest anymore. We don't need anyone to represent us except for Christ before God. Also notice here in verse 2, they are under guardians and stewards, the priests, until the time appointed by the Father. What time was that? That was the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Until that time. God had a specific date set up for that. God had a specific time that was the perfect time in human history for Jesus to come, for the gospel to spread throughout the world. Verse 3, Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. So now he's kind of making an analogy. It goes from Israel finding the promised Messiah, being sacrificed for their sins. That's the appointed time. And now he's making it more personal. We, more personal, we, when we were children, we were also slaves. What were we slaves to? Under the elements of the world. When you were an unbeliever, you were a slave. A lot of times people, especially today, it's being very popular to, to hate on the church and to say, oh, you know, that's just religion. It's just crowd control and just, you know, people being brainwashed and, and, and you know, they're just going and they just all kind of, it's group think. They just kind of all agree with each other, and, and they don't question anything. You need to question authority. You guys grew up through the 70s and 80s. You probably saw question authority bumper sticker, right? That's kind of the, the common um, philosophy of today is that the church is all brainwashed, and everybody outside the church is free. We're free thinkers. The Bible says the opposite. People who think that they're free, they're really slaves. They're slaves to themselves. They're slaves to their sin. When we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. Don't ever look back on your life before Christ 
and think, ah, oh, man, those were the good old days. Those were the good old days. Ah, oh, man, I had so much fun. Now I've kind of shaped up and I'm following Christ. Before that, ooh, boy, man, the stuff I did, that was, those were some good times. You were a slave. You were a slave to yourself. You could not control yourself. You could not make the choices that you wanted because you were enslaved um, by the things of the world. C.S. Lewis says this, Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. Fallen man is not somebody who just needs to improve. If there's a soldier on the other side of, uh, of an army that we're fighting against, and he says, you know what, you know, I want to join the other side, what does he need to do? He needs to surrender, right? He needs to surrender and admit that he's wrong. and say, no, I'm, I'm fighting on the wrong side. I, you know, I'm wrong. I surrender. He needs to give up everything, lay down his arms and surrender. He can't just become a better soldier. In the same way, before Christ, we couldn't just become better people and then, and then shape up and say, okay, now God's on my side. You need to surrender. You need to give up everything that you have. You need to give up everything that you're fighting for and, and make your goals God, God's goals. Don't ever, don't ever think that you can overstate the brokenness of how broken you were before Christ. You can never overstate that. You were broken. You were a rebel. You were enslaved. Ephesians says that we were dead. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. Don't ever look back on those times and think that they were good times. We were enslaved. Verse 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law. I'm going to pause here for a second on this phrase. The fullness of time. What does that mean? Fullness of time. That sounds like some bad movie, right? The fullness of time that you would fall asleep during and not know what's going on. The fullness of time. What is that talking about? Fullness of time. That means that God planned, I mentioned this earlier, God planted and planned the time when Jesus Christ would come perfectly. And we can look at lots of different things. I've heard it said that um, the Romans had just developed the road system, so now news could travel a lot faster, and that's why God made that happen. Because if God had put the gospel in a time when there was no roads and no real interaction between clans and tribes, then it's like, okay, here's the good news, and it's just with this group of people for 2,000 years, and then you can't really talk to anybody else. God made it so that that good news could travel, that good news could spread. We don't know all the details. We do know that God planned that for that perfect time, for that perfect time to grow his church. And now there are 2 billion people on this planet who call themselves Christians, who claim the name of Christ. I don't know that all of those people are sincere, but two billion people claim that name of Christ. That's pretty radical when you think about it. In 2,000 years, one-third of the population has adopted um, the name of one man, Jesus Christ. We follow him. That's pretty incredible when you think about it. God planned that under the fullness of time. He planned that perfectly. 1 Timothy 2, 3-6, This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved. So what's his purpose? God is on a mission to save all people. Don't let people tell you that God's only here to save a certain group of people. God is only here because he loves these people. God, God's mission is to save all people. All people will not be saved because some will reject him. He desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. There, again, as I mentioned, there is one mediator between man and God. No priests, there is one mediator. Verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. At the proper time. The Father planned it. God is in control of human history. 
God has planned everything that happens in human history. God set it up the way that he wants it. Men go our own way. We do our own evil things. God works with that. God makes it happen. God is the ruler of history. Think about the big corporations. Think about, you know, Apple Incorporated. Think about companies like Enron, companies like Microsoft. Um, Think about companies like BP Oil. God is in control of that. God controls that. There's men up there in suits that are making millions of dollars and are thinking that they're on top of the world in big shots. God controls that. God controls them. God is the sovereign ruler of those companies. God is the sovereign ruler of Libya. God is the sovereign ruler of Japan. God is the sovereign ruler of America. God is in control. We don't always know why bad things happen or evil people who need to be forgiven. We need to repent. People always ask, why do bad things happen to good people? I always answer, where are the good people? I don't see them. People are evil. People are rebels against God. People are rebels against God. They deny his nature. They deny everything that he has given us, the evidence of his existence. God is in control of the world. God is in control of human history. And at the proper time, he sent his son. Mark 1, 14 through 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He's saying, your time has come. It's now. The gospel's time is now. God planned that perfectly. The fullness of time. In the fullness of time, the gospel came. Born of woman, born under the law. Christ was born under the law of Moses to fulfill it. Christ was not born outside the law. God could have just, you know, popped into human history. God could have just gone, boom, I'm here. God could have just jumped in and, 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 and this random guy appeared and he's like, I am Jesus. And everyone's like, whoa, where did you come from? You know, freak, you know, freak people out. It's like in all the you know, horror movies, the ghost movies, and, and the ghost is like, I am here. And you're like, whoa, you know, where did that guy come from? In the same way, God could have just sent Jesus into the world. But God had Jesus go through the natural process of childbirth, come in under the law, fulfill every human experience, fulfill the law, never disobey God for you, in your place, so you don't have to. That's pretty amazing. That's good news that Paul is teaching here. That's good news. Born of woman, born under the law. Verse uh, 5. To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Christ's mission on earth is not only to save all people, like we talked about, but specifically to make them sons. There's a lot of different elements that we can talk about in salvation. We can say, you know, you've heard phrases like, oh, I've seen the light. God's brought, you know, God brought the light to me. I saw the light. I found Jesus. Um, I got saved. I was born again. And here's one phrase that, that we look at that we don't talk about as often. I was adopted by God. Received adopted, adoption as sons. That's Christ's mission. That's God's mission on earth. It's to bring as many people as he can, as many people as will have him, as many people as he chooses, all of those things, to be his sons, to be his sons. He wants you to be his adopted child today, to receive that inheritance that we talked about in verse 1. Pastor John Piper says this, When the appointed time came, God looked down on his own world under the dominion of Satan and said to his son, Prepare for the invasion. The artillery of the enemy will be heavy. Before you get very far on the beach, you will be killed. But I will raise you from the dead, and the beachhead you establish will spread until it invades every tongue and tribe and nation. 
And I will free town after town from slavery to demons and slavery to the law. And we will draw into our movement all those who trust in you, my son. And we will send your spirit to empower them and to bring them to glory. And they will be my children and heirs of everything I have. Satan will be vanquished. All unbelievers will be banished to outer darkness. And our glory will fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. God is on a mission. God is on a mission to save people. God is on a mission for people to receive adoption as his sons. He wants people to receive his inheritance. He wants people to have those good things. And yet we reject him. Yet we push him away continually. God is on a mission. Don't ever think he isn't. Verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. This is amazing. Instead of those managers, instead of those priests that we had to, to methodically go through to get to God, we now have the very Spirit of God. We now have the very Spirit of God. That's better. That is better. That is way better. We have the very Spirit of God living within us, crying out, Abba, Father, crying out for you. Think about that. Even when you're at your worst moment and you haven't prayed in three weeks, you haven't cracked open your Bible and you, you, know, you pick up your Bible and that dust cloud comes off it, and little spiders scurry everywhere. Even at those times, even at those dark times in your Christian life, the Spirit is still praying for you. The Spirit is still interceding for you, crying out, Abba, Father, in your place, because you're not. The Spirit is there for you. Just think about that love. You know, when my kid doesn't listen to me and he's not talking to me, he doesn't care, he's just, I'm talking to him, he's just completely ignoring me, I'm just like, all right, I'm gonna, time to lay the smack down, you know. It's time to, to uh, as Pastor Jim says, apply the hand of knowledge to the seat of understanding on my son. It's time to do that. Okay? It's time to, to bring out the full wrath of, of Daddy Kyle uh, on my son. You know, and, and, and when I get really angry, you know, just think about the contrast. God, our Father, so patient, constantly listening, constantly waiting for us, for us to come back to him. That's our God. That's pretty amazing. That is a God of love. God always gets painted in the media like this guy, you know, standing up in the clouds, just watching us, watching our lives, and bam, you know, lightning bolt, lightning bolt, lightning bolt, you know, and he's always, and he's just standing there ready to, to take us out. God is a God of love. God is waiting for us to come back to him. Romans 8, verses 26 through 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit intercedes for the saints. That's pretty amazing. wish we had more time to go into that. That's, that's a sermon in and of itself. The Spirit is praying for you. The Spirit is always interceding for you. Verse 7, here's the culmination of the good news, and then we'll look at Paul's warning real quick. Verse 7, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Wow, that's amazing. What a relief. Have you ever paid off a debt? Have you ever, we have paid off our car a while back. Uh, one of our cars, we paid it off. That last check goes in, right, and sign it. Send that last check in. Ah, it's done. It's finished. My debt is paid. It's over. You are no longer a slave, but a son. Your debt is paid for. You are now an adopted son of God, if you believe in Jesus Christ. This 
is the gospel. You are no longer enslaved to the desires of your flesh. You no longer have to follow every impulse that your heart desires. You no longer have to follow that because God has freed you from that. God has put his spirit inside of you. You are an heir of all good things that God promises. All good things. We we could do a uh, 265-week series on the good things that God promises believers. We could talk about that for ages. Just a few. Salvation. Eternal life. Heaven. Glory. Jesus Christ himself. Everlasting joy. Abundant life now and forever. Those are some things that God promises for you. Wow. I mean, these are people who rebelled against God. Who Each one of us says, we don't, we don't want God. We want to do our own thing. And God says, I want to give all these good things to you. What? That's amazing. If somebody w- wanted to fight me, and the first thing I do is, here, you want my TV? You, know, you want all these good things? You want me to give you all this? What? What are you doing? All right? We, in the same way, we wanted to fight God, and God says, no, I love you. Have all this. Follow me. Believe me. Here's all these good things for you. That's amazing. That's just amazing. That's the God of love for us. That is the good news Paul proclaims, but now a warning. We'll finish on the warning. Verse 8, But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. Verse 9, But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? How can you know the Almighty God and turn away? How can you look into the face of the Almighty God? You can look at His creation out here. Actually, these windows are probably better because you see the mountains. Look out there and see the wonderful creation of God and say, I don't want that. I don't want you. I'm going to turn back to my, to my other things. I'm going to go back into slavery. Right now, um, approximately uh, 15 miles that way at my house, 20 miles-ish, there is a cat in our tree. There's a, there's, uh, it's our cat, and it ran up the tree a couple days ago, a few days ago, and it's at the very top of this 40, 50-foot pine tree right outside our window. And, um, you know, we went up there one day, and you kind of think, okay, it'll come down, and you go about your business, and you walk back, and, you know, okay, it's still meowing there. Walk in with my son, and uh, we were walking in yesterday, and he goes, Hi, kitty cat. I hope you're okay up there. <laughs> we keep walking. Cat's in the tree. What are you going to do? You know. So finally last night, uh, and we've tried this a couple of times, but last night we did again. I'm trying to work on my sermon, and I keep hearing that meowing, that little, that little meowing sound. And, okay, all right, we'll, we'll, try to get this, uh, we'll try to get this cat. So, so last night, uh, instead of working on my sermon, I'm out there with a bag of apples tied to a rope, tied to a basket, throwing it over a, a tree branch, trying not to break any of our neighbor's windows. And I, I throw this thing over this branch, and we, we you know, shimmy up this pulley, this basket up to this cat, right, so it can get in. And it's filled with food and hot dogs and all sorts of awesome stuff. And, and, and so we, we pulled this basket all the way up this tree, and it's right under this cat. Like, it was, a, it was a really good throw, if I do say so myself. It was a great throw. So we've got this basket right under this cat, and it's, it's standing there, and it's looking at it. And it's just looking at it. And they say, come on, come on. Come down, come down. And we're just, all, everybody's, you know, our neighbors come out, everybody's looking up, come on, come on. The cat's just standing there. She's standing there. So I just, you know, I stood there. So I'm sitting there, you know, my hands, I got rope burn on it. I'm typing my sermon on my phone, and, you know, as I'm looking up at this cat, waiting for this cat to get in. <laughs> and uh, 
And the cat just stands there and wouldn't go, wouldn't do it, wouldn't go in. Everybody's saying, come on, come on, you're cold. You've been up there. It's rained on you. Come on, you've got salvation for you right here. Jump in. And he wanted to stay back with his tree. He wanted to stay on his tree. He's still there. We came out this morning, and he went higher. He's up on like, he's higher. I don't know how. You know how. So <laughs> and I, I'm sure he'll eventually come out. I'll get hungry enough or something. But that is what we do. You know, and I sit there, and I'm like, dumb cat. What a dumb cat. You know, and I, oh, I don't really like cats that much anyway. And I'm just like, a dumb cat. You know, and then I think to myself, but I'm a dumb cat. I'm a dumb cat. God offers salvation. And so many times I'm just like, I like my old way of life. I want to go back to the tree. The tree was good times. Israel in the desert. God has saved them, pulled them out from slavery. And what do they say? Yeah, remember how good it was? Remember how good the times were in Egypt? You know? And if you guys ever seen the VeggieTales version, I like what Junior Asparagus says. He comes out and he goes, You guys were slaves! Right? You guys were slaves. What are you thinking? You guys watch the VeggieTales version. That's the definitive biblical version. The VeggieTales version of that story. Anyway, um, in the same way, we often look back and say, we want to go back to that. We want to go back to that. Why would you do that? You have the God of the universe standing there ready to save you. Don't go back to your old way of life. Don't look back fondly on your old way of life. Why would you do that? I'm going to finish. Um, oh, verse 10. You observe days and months and seasons and years. It might sound a little confusing. What is he talking about? You're using a calendar. Why is that bad? He's saying you observe the festivals. You go back and say, we need to observe all these legalistic festivals to follow the law. Why would, why would you go back and follow those things? We don't obey a spirit of legalism. We obey a spirit of love. We follow Jesus Christ. This is a dire warning against setting up any one thing as absolute. Don't set up anything and say, this is what Christians must do. A, a good Christian looks like this. A good Christian does this. A good Christian. There are no good Christians. Okay? We're all screwed up. We're all messed up people. We're all just cats and trees that want to go higher up when God offers us good things. Okay? We're all screwed up Christians. We just need to try to follow Christ as he commands us to. I'm going to finish with two quotes and we'll be done. John Piper says this. Do you see what this means now for us? Satan does not care if you try to keep the Ten Commandments, provided that you take the credit for keeping them. In fact, he will assist your moral resolve if you do it that way. Satan does not mind if you come to church, or teach Sunday school, or preach, or work, or lobby for a human life bill, or seek prayer in the schools. He's all in favor of whatever your moral agenda is, provided you rely on yourself instead of the Spirit of Christ and take credit for it yourself instead of humbly giving all glory to God. So do not be unprepared. Our adversary has a clever scheme by, by which he aims to ruin us and the church. God does not care if you come to church as long as you think, I'm a pretty good guy, I'm going to church. God does not care if you help out at the homeless shelter if you think more of yourself. Satan does not care, sorry. Satan does not care as long as you think more of yourself afterwards. Because that boosts your pride and that turns your eyes away from God. And finally, C.S. Lewis says this. The most dangerous thing you can do is to take any one impulse of your own nature and set it up as the thing you ought to follow at all costs. There is not one of them which will not make us into devils. Mm -hmm.
do not set up any one thing as the legalistic standard. Jesus Christ is the standard. The Bible is the standard. We just follow what we have here. Jesus Christ saves us by grace through faith.